go ahead and grab a seat. And as you are finding your seat, I'd encourage you to take out your Bible if you brought one. If you don't have one, you can find one underneath one of the seat backs in front of you. Uh, We'd love to uh, have you uh, follow along and see where we're um, at in God's Word uh, today. As you're opening your Bible, you can uh, open up to the book of Isaiah. That's where we were last week. We're going back there again this week. We are in Isaiah chapter uh, 40. As we continue in this uh, Advent series that we have called uh, The Weary World Rejoices, And one of the things that we like to do uh, through this season here at City on a Hill is uh, to to, to be intentional and uh, to be purposeful in these weeks leading up to Christmas and uh, what can be a time filled with so many uh, things that uh, distract and detract from uh, from our understanding of Christ and why He came and and uh, and why we celebrate uh, Advent is meant to be something that uh, recenters us and 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 turns our attention toward uh, toward the Lord uh, in a, in, a, in an intentional um, and purposeful way. And so, Advent is a word that means uh, coming or arrival, and uh, it, it's a reminder of the way that God's people waited for centuries for the Messiah to come the first time, and the way that we're waiting uh, even today for the Messiah to return again in glory. And so, one of the ways that we uh, prepare and kind of are reminded of this is we light um, these candles. And um, last week, we let the uh, candle of uh, hope, and um, unfortunately, this sometimes we we often will blow it out and we light it again, the second candle. This is still burning right now. So I can kind of symbolically light this one, but this is our second candle of uh, peace uh, here, um, here this, this morning that we're lighting on this, uh, this week too. And uh, the, the kind of four themes of Advent are, are hope, peace, uh, joy, and love. And so we're, we want to remember and be reminded of why Jesus came and that these uh, these are things that are found in Christ. And uh, even yesterday, the, the ladies were um, looking at uh, the subject of, of, um, of joy and uh, what it means to find joy in the Lord. And my wife um, was teaching in, in that. And um, I think she may have shared this yesterday. I'm not sure. But even as she was getting ready to head out the door uh, yesterday morning, um, there sitting in our uh, kitchen was this box from like Amazon or Walmart or something. And it said like, you know, uh, you want to find joy? Like, go to www. Like, whatever. And like, it was like such a. Uh, you know, I mean, there's lots of places that are going to claim that that you can find joy, or you can find hope, or what we're talking about today, peace. And uh, what we are going to see, and what we're reminded of in God's Word, is that's only found uh, in one place. It's found in uh, the living God. Um, the God of the scriptures, the God of creation. And so that's what we're looking at um, today. And so we're calling this morning's um, sermon a peace for the weary, a peace for the weary. And if I could, I'd like to kind of frame up the uh, passage that we're looking at with, um, with this sort of illustration. Um, I, years ago, I used to be really into the show uh, Survivor, and um, I think it's still on. Every once in a while, I, like, I stumble across it, and I'm like, oh, this is still going, and now I'll, I'll get into it for like a season or something like that. And, um, but I'll never forget, there was one guy who was on that show. Um, I think by now, we all know exactly kind of it's, you know, people go to this island and do all these tasks and games and different things, and then they, you know, vote each other off, and whoever's last one standing wins a prize, right? And so there's this card player uh, who was there on the island, and um, he was um, a bodybuilder, kind of. Like, he, he, he definitely spent some time in the gym, and everyone was pretty uh, excited to have him in their alliance, right? So everyone was like, oh, man, this guy's going to be good for the challenges, looks super strong, like, he's, he's going to do it. Well, the challenges started, and this guy, like, he, he was, he looked very strong, but there was, like, 
almost no functional fitness about him. He couldn't do the challenges at all. And it was crazy. I mean, these, like this scrawny older guy uh, was there. Notice how I added the ER. It's like kinder when you say it that way. I didn't say scrawny old guy. I said scrawny older guy, right? The scrawny older guy was there and he's like just destroying. And, 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 and this guy's like, what is the matter? And every, the whole team was like, he just looks like, is he just like inflated with air? Like what, what does he have going on? Like these muscles are worthless. And I think, you know, whatever it was, he had never actually, I think he had only ever lifted weights. I don't think he had actually ever lifted something um, that, that was practical or needed to be lifted. Um, and so you can look strong, but then when it came time to actually use the muscles, there really wasn't much there. And here's the, the hope that I would have for us today as we talk about and see in God's word um, this theme around peace that it wouldn't just be for us some lofty idea, which sometimes I think some of the things and, and the, 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 the things that we see in God's word can be. There's sort of these, these lofty ideas or sort of these, these big concepts, but rather that we would see them functionally applied to our life, right? That we would, that we would live them out, that they would apply to the situations and to the realities and to the, the parts and the pieces of our daily life. And so we're not just kind of talking about peace in sort of the abstract, but hopefully, hopefully as we walk through this today, you'll see a direct line between peace in the practical, in the functional, in the everyday. And that's really what we're going after every time we open God's Word. We're not trying to kind of, you know, just for show, sort of puff up and, and look like we've got it together, but we would actually have uh, some muscles that would be able to, to lift and to sustain the things that we're trying to uh, carry that they would be built up and come from God's working and from his word. And so let's turn our attention to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse 1. We're going to kind of uh, walk at a or kind of a brisk run through this passage this morning. There's no way we're going to dig into everything, but we're going we're gonna to move our way through uh, this chapter and see this. Verse 1, it says this, Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare has ended and that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord, Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, let's, um, let me just kind of give you what I, what I think we're going to see in this first part of the passage. It's this, is that God is offering a promise. He's giving a promise to his people, and it's this. God promises to deliver his people. God promises to deliver his people. And as we jump in at verse 1, I think it's a good reminder for us um, the way that God's word was put together. You see, when I say go to Isaiah chapter 40, uh, beginning in verse 1, we kind of know those, those numbers, the big numbers, the little numbers, those are, those are put in there as reference points for us. But I think most of us know this. If you don't, let me um, kind of give you a little, little tip. That was not part of the original text. Okay, so Isaiah, as he's writing his letter and his, his, these words down, he's not putting in all those numbers and everything for us. So, so if you look at it in its original form, it would have just been one continual um, uh, passage, one continual writing. In fact, the Dead Sea Scrolls, which is kind of the oldest manuscripts that we have today, has this passage of Isaiah. And what it does is from what we would call chapter 39 flows right into chapter 40. There's no break there at all. Why is that important? I think it's important because we have to understand the context in which these words are written. So let's do that. Let's just kind of scan our eyes back and, um, and just take a step back and look at this. Look at verse 5 of chapter 39. Remember, he said, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Well, what comes right before it? Well, then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, 
Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought there will be peace and security in my days. You see, this is, this is uh, a word of judgment for God's people. What is coming for God's people is the judgment we spoke about last time. This is written to the people in Judah, um, the southern part of the kingdom, the people of Israel or of Jerusalem and the, and the surrounding um, parts and regions. And so he's writing to Judah and he's saying that, that Babylon is coming as judgment to them. And they're going to be carried off. All the things in the king's house, all the things that have been stored up, all of, all of the treasure is going to be taken. They are going to be taken into captivity. And again, as by way of reminder, the reason for this is because they have strayed from the Lord. They have walked away. They have worshipped foreign gods. They have um, uh, given themselves to uh, foreign idols, and, and they have uh, abandoned this Lord who has, has called them and promised them and brought them here to this people. So the, the response, the result, the judgment that's coming is God's going to use this foreign nation, the nation of Babylon, the people of Babylon, to bring judgment to God's people. But notice Right in the midst of that, like flowing right from no break, no nothing, it goes, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. Her warfare is ended and her iniquity is pardoned that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It's this reminder that the judgment will be ended. It will not last forever. That God will pardon the sins, that he will forgive and that he will be with and comfort his people. And that's the first thing that we need to see and be reminded of is that God promises to deliver his people and he's doing so with great comfort. He's giving that to it. Notice the, the tenderness with which the Lord is speaking here. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord your God. What a good reminder that even in sin, even in our, uh, our straying away from the Lord, the Lord does not remove himself from us in that regard. It says that he's, he still calls them my people, and he says that he is their God, right? He says, your God. There's still that personal uh, relationship, nearness, closeness there, and this comfort comes immediately on the heels of the judgment which is promised. He goes on and says this. Well, how does this comfort look? What, what is, where is this uh, found? Verse 3, it says, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You notice um, the way that God is going to work. He's going to do that which is required to prepare the way for this comfort, for this deliverance to come to his people. And the picture that he gives is the wilderness uh, sort of being made level. Um, I've, I've, I've stood upon a hill in uh, 
in the, the um, nation of Israel and looked over, and I'm going to tell you, there are some parts that is a pretty rugged terrain. There are hills and valleys and all these kind of turns and stuff. We live in a day where um, our travel is pretty cushy, right? Like we get upset if there's like a, an oversized pothole. You're like, man, can't they deal with this, right? Like we're upset when, when, a, when a two and a half hour trip, is, it takes us three. And it's like, oh man, you know, traffic was taken. Like they're, they're used to traveling for days and, 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 and at risk of their own life. And, 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 and there was, but he is saying, listen, he's going to, make it all straight, that the mountains will be made low, that, the, that the, the valleys will be lifted up, that that's which rough, which will be made smooth. He's going to prepare the way of the Lord. This is a foreshadow of the coming of the Messiah, the coming of, of the Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? He's going to make a way for God's people to receive full forgiveness for that reconciled, restored relationship that he will make a way through the wilderness. Let's continue in verse six. It says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but when the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The contrast that God is trying to paint is the frailty and the temporary sort of circumstances that we find ourselves in today, right? How fleeting life is, how temporary this life here is, yet the promises and the power and the word of the Lord is forever. He's reminding them of the, the surety that they can have in the promise, the confidence in the word of the Lord. So when the Lord says, comfort, comfort will come to my people, right? That I will make a way. He's saying, listen, this will come to pass. You can be sure of it. Why? Because I said it. When I say it, it's going to come to pass. And these are just an encouragement for us. I want to show you a picture. Um, this, uh, this picture is taken. It's actually um, me standing right where I'm standing right now with um, my... Uh, kind of at my shoes. I'm actually wearing the same shoes. That was coincidence. So they're still, they're still making it a little worse for wear, but that's all right. Um, and, and I'm standing right here and I took this picture. Some of you remember the very first service that we were here in this building. There was no uh, carpet in this room yet. Um, it had been delayed. And so we decided to uh, put Sharpies on all the chairs. And so we spent part of our service, time of the service, and we wrote scripture all over the floors. And um, I kind of threw some elbows and got up here to uh, this space in this spot, and um, I, I wrote that verse, Isaiah 40, uh, verse 8, which says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, so knowing that this would be the place which God's word was going to be preached from, that that would just be a reminder that God's word, this, this uh, recorded uh, scriptures, um, what is spoken from the word of the Lord will never Fade, it will never pass away, that what God has said will happen. And we need to be reminded of this, church. We've said this before, but like, if you are with the Lord, what he has said, what he has promised will come to pass. If he said it, it will happen. We sang about this earlier, right? Great are the promises of the Lord. God is so faithful to fulfill every promise which he has said. And there is time and time again where he has said to his people that he will be with them. Right? He continues. He says in verse 9, Go up on the high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might 
and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him, and he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. What encouraging words to a weary people that had for centuries, for generations, right, had been living opposed to the words and the plans, the purposes of God. Now, as they're ready to be taken into captivity to experience some of the punishment and judgment, right? Because there's consequences for the things that we choose, right? Hopefully, uh, my kids uh, learn that. Hopefully, as adults, we've learned that, that when we make choices, there are consequences. You choose well, choose wisely. It leads to good things, right? If you choose poorly, choose foolishly, it leads to rough things. It leads to difficulty. And so what God has said is, listen, if you follow my way, if you do things my way, I am your Lord, and it will lead to life, and it will lead to godliness, it will lead to righteousness. He's like, I desire good things for you. That's why I've told you the plans that I have for you. That's why I've led you in this way, and you've chosen to walk away from me. And so there is this judgment coming, but, but, I still love you, and I'm still working on your behalf, and he's going to gather the nation, his people, together, and he's going to lead them and comfort them and look after them. He promises that he will deliver his people. So God has made the promise. I think the natural question then is, is he good to deliver on his promise? Like, can he actually do it? And that's what this whole next section is. As I'd like to do, let me read God's word, and, show, and, and then we uh, will see what it, what it, where it's pointing us toward. Verse 12, it says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heaven with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance? These were all rhetorical questions. The uh, understood answer is God. God has. That's who's done it. And what God is doing, he's doing this. This is the second thing if you're taking notes, is that God, he promises to deliver his people, but he reminds his people of the ability that he has to deliver. God reminds of his ability to deliver his people. And what he is doing here is he is laying down his credentials to deliver on the promise that he has made. So he has said that he will bring comfort, that he will bring deliverance to his people. And how can he say that? Well, this is how. Because he's measured the waters in the hollows of his hand. He's marked off the heavens with a span. He's enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in the scales and the hills in a balance. This, is meant, this verse is meant to make us feel very small. And for us to understand just how big God is, right? We need that perspective sometime. Um, I uh, uh, remember this meme, and I can't remember if I've shared it before, um, but there's this meme that I saw recently, and it just was an encouragement to me, and I want to kind of like verbally tell you about it to be an encouragement to you, okay? So it's, it talked about, you know, if you think about yourself and how, you know, small you are on this planet, Right, and then how you know our planet is just a speck, like in uh, the galaxy, and the galaxy is just a, a speck, like in the universe. Right, you just get a sense of just how expansive everything is. It's very easy to justify eating an entire pie, right? Like that, that pie is really quite small if you think about it in that way. So here as we are in this season where there's like probably more pies than there should be that is good for us, right? You can just go ahead and eat the whole thing because it's really not that big if you think about it that way, right? It, it changes your perspective and all of a sudden you have a, a, a different understanding of it. That's what this verse is meant to do. It's like, well, who, who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand? God does. He takes the oceans and it just, it just 
it fits in his hand. He can, he can span the entire universe. He can lift the mountains, weigh them on a scale, keep the hills in a balance. Who is like our God? Nobody. Nobody. Nothing is like our God. He continues, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Or whom did he, uh, who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him the knowledge? Who showed him the way of understanding? The rhetorical answer for that is nobody, right? Nobody has taught God anything. He has existed for all of eternity. There was no beginning, and his knowledge has not increased. It's always been, it's always existed. And so you and I bring nothing in our knowledge to him that he does not already contain or already know. It's like, who gave him this? Nobody did. Verse 15, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like a fine dust. God must look upon the scurrying and the fretting and kind of the, the moving of the nations. And it's like, you know, stumbling across that, that like uh, aggressive anthill, you know, that maybe found its way into your yard and, or you see at the park or something and you see these ants just kind of scurrying about doing their thing. And you're like, what are you guys doing, right? And then he like looks upon the nations that way. He's like, he looks upon them. They're like a drop in the bucket, all of this. He's so much bigger and so much over all of this. And then this reference to Lebanon says, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor its beasts enough for a burnt offering. What does that mean? It's a little dated reference. It made sense to them. If you don't know, Lebanon was the place of where like, wood was in abundance, trees, big trees. And so if you wanted to make something and, and you wanted to send it down for generations, you'd order some wood from Lebanon, okay? That's, that's where you'd get it. And so what he's saying there is God is so large and he's so worthy of our worship. He, he is so much deserving of it that if all of the trees, the entire forest of Lebanon would not serve to like stir up a big enough fire for him. All of the beasts would not be enough of an offering for our God. A contemporary version would be like the redwood forest, right? Would not be enough wood to light the fire for the worship of God. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare with him? What we are reminded of here is the, the bigness, right? The immensity, the span that God has. He is the God of creation. This is a reminder for us of the breadth of his power, just how powerful he is. And then it kind of takes this turn and sort of calls out our propensity the uh, sort of mistake that we might make to try and find something that would compare to God. Notice the question, to whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare? This isn't a rhetorical question. He answers it. He says, an idol? Right, you're gonna compare all of these things that we just said, right? The, the expansiveness of God, the, the, just how big and how vast he is to an idol? He's like, this is what an idol is. A craftsman casts it. A goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. It's like man is making this. Like you have the ability. You're kind of creating this idol and casting this in and putting it in place. And then he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. And he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. He's like, what good are these idols that you have turned to? 
they have taken and they've put in their homes and they've put in these temples, uh, these, these man-made physical objects, right? And they, they make them with their hands and then they put them in place and then they get back and they start bowing to them. Like, how foolish is that, right? Like, who does that? You're, you're bowing to something that you yourself just made. What good is that for you? Set in contrast to just how great and how big God is, it, it, it makes our idols look foolish. Yet, who among us, who among us does not go and create idols out of all sorts of things in our life? It's not just an issue they experienced, it's an issue we experienced, right? We turn so many times to other things to receive that which only God can truly give. As I meet with young couples uh, that are pursuing marriage and um, where I've gotten, you know, uh, maybe a couple has come and kind of sought for advice and said, hey, you know, I'm kind of interested in this guy or interested in this girl. What do you think? Any, any advice? And I, I always tell them the same thing. I said, you want to find a spouse who loves Jesus more than they love you. Why? Because if they love you more than they love Jesus, then you are going to be the functional savior, right? The functional idol in their life. And guess what? Hate to break it to all of you. You're going to let your spouse down, right? No husband, no wife is going to be able to be the savior that your partner needs, Your spouse needs someone who's always there and always present and always able to give, and you're just not that. And so what you want to do is find someone who loves Jesus more than you and that their attention, and that's not just true in those relationships. Parents, we had all these parents up here, right? As we seek to raise our kids, parents, we need to point our kids and remind them that we don't have what they need. We need to point them to Jesus because he has what they need And man, we need a reminder for that as parents. Listen, parents, we're not going to find in our children that which only God can give. How easy is it to love these little blessings that God has given, right? Like, built children are such a blessing, a heritage from the Lord. Yet, how many times have I watched and seen parents try and draw from their kids and receive from their kids that which only God can truly give? And that expands out. It's, there's no relationship. There's no job. There's no like, talent or hobby or home or whatever it might be, right? We are, as C.S. Lewis said, idle factories. We look to man-made things, things that we fashion with our own hands, and then we step back and we bow down to it and we try and receive something from it. And Isaiah is calling us out. And he's saying, listen, how foolish is that? Only the God of creation can hold the waters in his hands. Only the God of creation can look upon the nations and see it like this anthill. Only the God of creation is worthy of our worship, and only the God of creation can deliver us in the way that we are seeking. See, we need to be reminded of this, church, because we look to all these other things. Verse 21, he says, Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understand From the foundations of the earth, it is he, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like the grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in it, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom will you compare me? 
that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by greatness of his might and because of his strong, he is strong in power, not one is missing. See, this is what this passage, this this section of Isaiah is calling us to. We need to do this, church. We need to lift up our eyes. We need to see the God of creation. It's so important that we understand that God is the creator God. You know, we've spent far too much time debating on the mechanics of like how that creation unfolded. Listen, I don't, I do care, but I don't care so much about like the mechanics of what happened there in that, in that time, if you think whatever, but, it, but what, what is so inextricably clear and needs to be part of your theology, your understanding of God is that he was intimately involved in creation. That is the point of the creation story. That is the main point that we see throughout because he put his mark upon it. It says that he made man and he made woman in his image. And so his image has been pressed upon and so each of us have been made in his image and he loves each and every one of us. And he is uh, both above our creation and he is intimately involved in a loving way within it. Both are true. And listen, that is unique to the God of Scripture. That is unique to our God. There's many other gods, lowercase g, right? There's many other religions out there, and they tell the story of maybe origin and where, where the earth came from or how... Uh, how and, and, and what you don't find is this. You don't find a God who is above and outside of it, which is so good for us, right? Because if he was inside it, if he's bound by the same nature and the same laws and the same things that you and I are, then what good does he have to affect change upon it? but he is outside of it and he's above it. But here's the other good news is he's not so far and distant from it that he just kind of got everything spinning and left it alone, but he is lovingly involved in it to the point to the point that he sent his son Jesus to be born as a person, as a man, as a baby, as a boy, to grow and to live and in his humanity. He lived a life and he died a real death upon a real cross and he was buried in a real grave. And so he entered into the timeline, into the story, and he is lovingly involved in this creation that he has made, both above it and in it. And it says, lift up your eyes and see who created these things. Listen, church, we need to expand and understand our perspective of just how great and how good God is. What he is doing here is he's reminding of his ability to deliver his people. So he's made the promise and he's given his credentials of how he's going to make good on the promise that he made. My encouragement would be to you this day, I don't know what you have lined up for your time in the word this week, but maybe, maybe you spend some time in Isaiah 40. Like I said, we're kind of doing a brisk uh, sort of uh, run through it. There's so much here that we are kind of passing over. Maybe what you need to do this week is just spend some time looking and studying and and kind of going more slowly through Isaiah 40. And I would couple it with this. I would couple it with like a walk in the woods, a hike somewhere in nature, not just so you can see cool trees or um, experience the wind. Listen, the snow is coming, right? We know that it's going to be white and and sort of we're going to hibernate and we're going to go inside for a long time. Um, Those days are coming. Well, there's no snow now. So go for a walk. Go see that which God made. It's good for us to be in his creation and be reminded of the fact that God designed all of this. He worked in all of this and he made and worked in all of us. He's reminding us that this is the God of creation that has made this this promise. 
And then he continues in verse 27. Let me give you the point, and I'll show it to you in God's word. It's this. It's that God's people can wait with peace, knowing that God will deliver. Because of the promises been made, because the credentials have been given, now God's people can wait in peace, knowing that God will do that, which he said will come to pass. Look at verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my right is disregarded by my God? This had become the sentiment of the people, right? It had been so long, they had been waiting for so long for God to send his Messiah. And so they were beginning to say, my way is hidden, right? God must not be able to see us. He's disregarded us. He stepped away. He says, why do you say that? That's not true. Verse 28, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint. He does not grow weary. And his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Listen, are you tired? Are you weary? Are you in a place of darkness or difficulty? He who gives power to the, strength, to the faint, it is him who has the power to give to those who have no might the strength that they need and require. And here we come to some of my favorite verses of all of Scripture. When I was a kid, I found these verses, and I, I kind of pasted them and posted them everywhere. These are coffee mug, like cross-stitch, um, you know, uh, quotable verses here. Isaiah 40, 31. But man, when you understand them in context, it brings power to them. You ready? Verse 40, 30 and 31. You should have these underlined in your Bible. It says this, Even youths shall grow faint and be weary. And young men shall fall exhausted. But, but those, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. And they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is the promise of our God. That we can wait with peace knowing that God's got it. And that he has the ability to give the strength, give the energy, supply that which we need in whatever situation it might be. Notice the examples, right? It says, mount up with wings as we go, run, walk, whatever it might be, God is there supplying the need. And so here's the thing. I, I want to encourage us. I want to challenge us. I can't functionally apply this to whatever situation you have in your life, but I know this. I know that there is a place where you need to know and you need to understand this truth of God's promise for presence and deliverance in your life. This isn't just something that you do so that we look good and kind of have, you know, have down, right? It's like the muscles, um, but we can actually use it. And so where is it this week? Where is it this month? Where is it in the situation that's looming ahead that you need to understand and know this, that God is still on the throne? that he will deliver in that situation. And I can't tell you what that deliverance looks like. I can't tell you that it's going to all happen the way that we wish that it would. But I can tell you this, that those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength, that you will be able to run, you will be able to walk, you will be able to find that which you are looking for in the God that created the universe, in the God that created you, in the God that loves you more than you could ever imagine. You see, Advent, Christmas, the coming of Christ is a reminder, it's a picture for us of the love that the Heavenly Father has for 
his people. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. That's not just life someday, but that's life here and now. That's life lived and understood in the power and presence of God. And so he is not far off. He has the ability to deliver and he will deliver. He has said it time and time again. His word has made it clear. Listen, church, we need to remember this at Christmas. We need to remember this at Advent. This is where our true peace comes. Because if you think about it, anxiety, the anxiety that you and I feel is the uncertainty of the situation at hand, right? And the inability to affect the change that we would desire. If those two things weren't true, there probably wouldn't be much anxiety, right? If you knew what was coming and you knew that you had the ability to change it or kind of control it or whatever, there's nothing to be anxious about. But here's where we get anxious is that you don't know what's coming. And if history says anything, it's that you can't control it in the way that you wish that you could. And here's where the good news of the gospel comes in. Here's who our God is, is he knows what's coming and he has the power to affect change and control it. And so we need to lay down our desire in the picture that we have and trust him that he is working all things out. He's promised it time and time again, right? He will work things out for those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. He's present in all those things. And so hear me, I say this all the time. I'm not minimizing the situation that you're in right now. I'm not minimizing the situation that you've lived through. Some of us have experienced unspeakable evil, right? We've experienced the pain that this world has to offer. Others of us have chosen things that have led to destruction in our lives and in the relationships. But what God is saying is that he is not far off, he is not distant, and you are not out of his reach that he is still present and that he is still working and that he will redeem and he will deliver all things to himself. So in the way that they were waiting for the way to be made straight, right, the mountains and the valleys to be leveled out, God did that when he sent his son Jesus for the world. He's made a way that all who know him would receive him, that all who call on his name will be saved. This is the good news of Advent. This is, church, where we find true, functional, real peace for our life. God, we thank you. We thank you for the gift of your son. God, his life given for ours. God, his death in place of ours. Lord, we thank you for the strength to run the race which is set before us. God, we thank you for the hope Lord, that we have in knowing you and knowing that you are in control, God, that you are working. God, we thank you for your nearness, your presence. God, you are not far off, God, but you have drawn near to us. And you've done so through your son, Emmanuel. God, with us, you've come near, you've come down. God, we thank you for the peace which knowing you provides. Lord, I ask that you would continue to remind us of this. Lord, in each and every situation, God, that we would find and that we would see your hand at work. That we would look to you for strength, Lord, when we are weary. God, thank you for loving us as only a father could. God, as our heavenly father. Lord, we worship you. We praise you in light and truth of who you are. Amen.